Welcome back to another episode of Classic Coverage, the podcast that looks at classic movies back when they were just screenplays. My name is Max Davison, and I'll be your host. I'm a writer, I'm a producer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a fantastic multitasker. I have an MFA in screenwriting from USC Film School. I'm a person with, a, with strong interpersonal skills and a drive to succeed. I'm well-versed in Microsoft Office and PowerPoint. I know Final Cut Pro and Final Draft fairly well. And also, I speak conversational Spanish. If you're looking to hire me, you can find me on ZipRecruiter. Uh, but more relevantly, I am currently an unpaid script reader for a production company based at a major Hollywood studio. Uh, last week, we talked about that Nicolas Cage quote that said that there are no second acts in American life. And over the past seven days, I've realized that that quote is complete bullshit. Not only are there nothing but second acts in American life, but it's perpetually at the dark night of the soul period right at the end of Act Two. Today, I come into the office with my normal sense of upbeat positivity, and I have to read a script. Oh, it was called The Napster Heist, and it's about a group of high school students who have to rob a bank so that they can then use the proceeds to pay back the music industry because they were caught sharing songs on Napster. Yeah, I was ready to give it my normal grade of pass and talk about the way that you know adults try to write teenage dialogue, especially in 90s dialect. Oh, don't have a cow, man. Who are you, and what have you done with so and so? Oh, it's it's it was it was yeah, it was not good. But as I'm about to write that up, my boss, who I also thought was my new best friend, Sandra Hughes Gomez, SHG, she calls everybody into her office, including Caleb and some of the other interns who have shown up recently, and she shared with us some news that we are losing our overall deal at the studio. I guess uh, this company just has not made enough movies. And even with the <laughs> insurance scam, uh, the wonderful production that got cut short of Thaw, it still wasn't enough to warrant the studio's need to uh, provide overhead. And I mean, last week we had discovered that Roger Goodell script, but I doubt the studio is going to purchase it for us. And if we wanted to buy it out of pocket, we're all out of our discretionary fund. We'd have to wait until next year, and that's not going to come soon. And the option would probably expire, and somebody else would pick it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Uh, occasionally, this podcast actually does know something or another about the development process. It's not all bullshit. So, uh, SHG, she wished us all the best in our future endeavors. Uh, wh what does this mean? Well, it means that I managed to not get fired from this job, which I think is a little bit of a moral victory, because there are many moments where I was sure I was gone. Uh, yeah, I, I I successfully outlived this production company, and that's that's... Oh, come on. That's not even a moral victory. That It just means that we're all going to be out on the street. <sighs> so what it actually does mean practically is that my plans on entering the film industry through this internship and readership and development coordinatorship, uh, they've set sail. Uh, I think there's that quote. I, I believe it's William Goldman who once said that the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And that is exactly what happened. We are awry mice here at this, this production company. And uh, right now, it appears that Caleb and the interns have started a sort of Lord of the Flies-type revolt. They are pillaging the copy room right now. Uh, Post-its are flying left and right. Uh, highlighters. Uh, I guess they need highlighters. And no, 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 no. Not the K-cups. Not the cake. No. That donut shop one is the best one. I'm, I'm taking those. No. No, those are mine. My K-cups. Uh, sorry, you had to hear that. Uh, so while Caleb leads the interns, you know, through the copy room like a millennial Amorton Joe taking his writers out into the wasteland to find guzzoline, 
I'm going to take this opportunity to do one last trip to the vault. Uh, for new listeners, I'm sorry this is the first time you're listening. Actually, I'm sorry you're listening, period. This has not been a good experiment. But since I work at the studio, I have access to the vault, and the vault has all the coverage ever written on any script ever submitted to the studio. So this week, which might be the last trip into the breach, I'm going to go to the vault, and I'm not going to read one of the great scripts. No, uh, let's not do Casablanca. Let's not do It Happened One Night. Let's not do Ninotchka. You know, let's not do Fargo. Let's read something bad. You know, if we're going to go out, we're going to go out with the Snarkapalooza. So this week, we're going to be looking at a 1980s script of a movie that you've probably watched, ironically, many times. We're going to be looking at that classic 1980s peak Swayze hit of Roadhouse. Script title, Roadhouse. Screenwriter, David Lee Henry. Draft date, May 5th. 1987. Genre, action slash drama. Page count, 115. Logline, a mysterious bouncer attempts to bring order to a rowdy bar in a small town ruled by an evil capitalist liquor magnate. Comments. Roadhouse is a deceptively simple and trashy script that slowly escalates into a much larger, much more intricate story. The script takes the battle for a bar and blows it out into a universal tale of good versus evil, white versus blue collar, gentrification versus populism. The glue keeping the script together is Dalton, an NYU philosophy grad working as, quote, the best damn cooler in the business. He is unlike any protagonist in recent memory. The very first scene of Act One gives us a clean setup of Dalton's skill set and point of view. He kicks drunks out of his bar gets stabbed, sews up his own wound before returning to work and firing one of his employees who is having sex in the back room. The employee responds, but it's my break. Dalton responds, stay on it. Dalton is a man with two cars, one of which is his real ride, which he keeps hidden. The other is a decoy car that many disgruntled patrons will beat up and throw bricks through the window. This bit of symbolism might be a little bit obvious with a man of two faces like Janice or Jekyll and Hyde, but in Dalton's case, it works out. The inciting incident is when Dalton gets an offer to leave New York City and relocate to Jasper, Missouri to relaunch The Double Deuce. Once more, this is slightly on-the-nose symbolism as Dalton is attempting to bring a bar back from the dead while also attempting to do the same for himself. But, in this case, Roadhouse makes it work. Dalton comes to Missouri with a reputation as the bar's employees whisper that he once ripped a man's throat out, a detail that pays off not once, but twice later on in the script. Dalton ingratiates himself to the common folk of Jasper, renting a room at Emmett's farmhouse and befriending Red of Red's Auto Parts. They share folksy wisdom with him, such as, Does a hobby horse have a wooden dick? Page 72. Dalton is a man of amazing depth, someone who, as we later learn, is running away from his past, killing a man in self-defense in Memphis, but he has found peace, reading books and practicing Tai Chi in his spare time. This Zen-inspired mentality leads to a new type of barroom brawling, one we get to see every seven pages. His dialogue is terse yet philosophical, simple yet deep. Pain don't hurt, page 42, or take the biggest guy in the world, shatter his knee, and he'll drop like a stone, page 51. My favorite line... If someone gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Ask him to walk. 
be nice. If he won't walk, walk him, but be nice. If you can't walk him, one of the others will help you, and you'll both be nice. I want you to remember that it's a job. It's nothing personal. Page 27. This line is authoritative and enlightened, yin and yang in the same piece of dialogue. In Act 2, Dalton starts to clean house at the Double Deuce, cutting down on embezzlement, drug dealing, and brawling. This pisses off the good old boys, particularly when he fires the nephew of Brad Wesley, our antagonist, as well as Dalton's next-door neighbor. There's a clear line of demarcation between Dalton's humble barn apartment and the villain's mansion, complete with helicopter landing space. Brad Wesley is a businessman who brought industry to Jasper, including a J.C. Penney, but he asks for a cut of every business in an extortion outfit. He also controls the flow of liquor into town, which could bring the Double Deuce's renaissance to a quick end. This demonstrates clear stakes in a highly interconnected world, which many scripts do not have. Wesley has eyes on taking over the Double Deuce, but Dalton refuses to work for them. Very clear motivations and points of view in this scene. There is no need for shades of gray in this standoff between hero and villain. After needing stitches that he himself can't apply, Dalton meets his love interest, Dr. Elizabeth Clay, only referred to as Doc. There's something earnest in the script's lack of frills and smoothness in this. Knowing that he can't do this alone, it's always a good screenwriting tool for your protagonist to accept his or her personal failings. Dalton calls up his mentor, legendary cooler Wade Garrett. They fight off Wesley's men to protect a liquor shipment, and then share war stories and scars. At this point, the script takes a hard left turn and escalates into full-on war. As a sign of dominance, Wesley attacks all the businesses that are loyal to Dalton. He sets fire to Red's auto parts. One of Wesley's cronies drives a monster truck through the car dealership, and Wesley engineers a takeover of the Double Deuce. And then there's another explosion as they blow up the farmhouse. The second act break comes in the form of a phone call, a good instance of de-escalation. Wesley insists that either Doc or Wade will die. It all depends on a coin flip. Wade's dead body winds up at the deuce with the note stabbed into him. It was Tails. This leads Dalton to his third act mission of vengeance, including ripping a man's throat out. The finale involves Dalton storming Wesley's compound in a scene seemingly taken out of commando. Note, Arnold Schwarzenegger would be perfect for the role of Dalton. Dalton takes out Wesley's enforcers, then tracks him down, and he has a chance to rip out his throat, but Dalton shows mercy. His character arc is now complete. The other residents of Jasper, however, enter and shoot Wesley all at once, a la Murder on the Orient Express. They decide to turn their heads, as unity in a small town leads to salvation. Early on in the second act, Dalton shares his three simple rules of bartending. 1. Never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. 2. Take it outside. Never start anything in the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And 3. Be nice. The script definitely succeeds in all three of these rules. After finishing Act 1, I would not have expected a fiery vigilante-themed third act. And every scene that takes place in the double deuce is necessary and moves the plot forward. And Dalton, despite his violent streak, remains very, very civil. This script has a clean setup, goal, and motivation. A solid protagonist facing off against pure Reagan-era evil. This isn't just another movie about a bar. It turns into something much more. Potentially a latter-day Casablanca. Recommendation. Consider. 
They liked Roadhouse. The movie where Patrick Swayze plays a philosophical bouncer made its way through the studio system. Now, I have seen things you people wouldn't believe. I've seen them pass on The Godfather. I've seen them pass on Shawshank. I saw them pass on Star Wars. But Roadhouse gets a consider. We are losing our deal on the studio lot. Roadhouse got a consider. And Max Landis keeps selling spec scripts. There is no God. You know what? You know what? I grabbed some more coverage pages on my way out of the vault, and if we're going out, we're going out with a good one. We're going out with a lightning round. And so everybody, put some time on the clock. We're going to see what all the other scripts got. It's a Wonderful Life. Is a suicidal protagonist too dark for our audiences for a Christmas movie? And Mr. Potter is far too one-dimensional to work as a villain. Recommendation, pass. Twelve Angry Men. Is the defendant guilty or not? We need to know conclusively. Recommendation, pass. Inception. Far too confusing. The script also didn't have a title page, so I don't know who wrote it. In which case, recommendation, pass. The Big Lebowski. The nihilists are in the script just as, as an excuse to have no plot. Also, why is Donnie even here? He does nothing. Recommendation, pass. Goodwill Hunting. Terrible foreshadowing with the the best part of my day line. It telegraphs exactly how the movie ends. Pass. So there you have it, everybody. <sighs> That's it. And if I'm not back next week for another episode, assume that one of the two things happened. One of which is that the carbon monoxide leak from all these faulty pipes in the intern room finally killed me. The second is that I got a job working as a social media consultant for something like brand awareness. I'm not sure which one of those is worse. As always, thank you to Noah for the theme music. My name is Max Davison, reminding you as always that even the classics could you- No! I said not the donut shop K-Cups, Caleb. I, I will grab these long brads and I will stab you with them until you hand those over. I swear to God, and I know you made that website. I know you use Squarespace for that- Oh, it's on. It's on. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go roundhouse kick an intern. Which means a third thing might happen if you don't hear an episode next week. I've been arrested for assault. <laughs>